I'm Matt Price, and I have with me here Dr. Michael Badriaki. And um, on this episode of Embracing the Margins podcast, we're going to talk about something that we generally don't talk about in seminary or in church, but it has huge implications when we think about our relationships with those who don't look like us. Um, They might be people across the street or around the globe, but um, things like negative stereotypes, bias, and stigma have a huge impact on our relationships, especially when we talk about relationships that are cross-cultural and relationships that include the sharing of money. Um, And so Michael has written extensively on stereotype threat. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what that is and how that might impact us when we talk about our relationships um, with those who are not like us. So, Michael, welcome. Yes, thank you. And I, I want to start with just the simple question of what is what is a negative stereotype and why is it important? <clears throat> Sorry, I just needed to clear my throat there. Otherwise, I would, I would start talking with a frog in my throat, Matt, there. Um, talk, talk of negative stuff there. Uh, good, good to be with you again. N- a negative, negative stereotypes are... It, as the dictionary puts them, you know, of course, depending on which one you're reading, you know, these are widely held, in some cases fixed, in some cases not, oversimplified images or ideas uh, of a particular type of person. And even it could be a thing. Um so there are oversimplifications and, uh, and generalizations about a person. It could also be about that person's group. Say, you know, the blue men who from Chicago, and, and they, I, I might be also dating myself. I don't know whether they still do play. But if the blue men all bubble their heads while playing music, um the assumption then would be that every blue man that you meet at some point is going to bubble their, you know, their head while playing music. But a, a clear example of a negative stereotype then, uh, for to bring it home, is, um, let, you know, and of course I'm not a woman, but for women, um, there was... If there's there's been long held views about you know generalizations about women, you know in, in subservient roles and sort of second class type persons. For example, this is a this is an uh, this is a an example of because uh, stereotypes are across cultures. So I'll give two examples. At one point, the, in one of the African countries, they were debating about women in parliament and women in uh, in, in leadership. 
And one of the legislatures was walking outside the door. And his fellow legislature, who's also a pastor and has girls and boys, said to him, as this guy was sort of one of the legislators who was against women in parliament. And he asked the legislature, hey, how are your children? And, and he said, which one, the boys? So that as though there was this, in the primacy of children in his mind were boys. And, you know, and so the pregnant pause there was, oh, okay. Um, girls, his his daughters are at a different rank, and this is this is actually not far fetched. You know, um, in in many many cultures, girls are sort of relegated to not going to school because there's this idea that they're not, you know, they'll not amount to anything. They're just going to get married and, you know, in fact, get, get married. Yeah, never mind that the, this kind of thinking also forces young girls into marriage. And so you never really get to see it's, 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 a, it's a very vicious cycle. And so then the another legislator. So this legislator, mm. he's talking about or responding to this question. I would presume that he doesn't even realize what he's just brought into that conversation by the way he responded. So it's a blind spot. I, it's a blind spot. And what's curious is that he was vehemently against women in leadership. So we could correlate that. We could, you know, I, I don't know how close that could be, but I don't know, you know, that, that might not speak of cause and effect, but they, it's odd, right? It, it does seem like what, what you see there is if, if he has a viewpoint that says, I don't want to see women in leadership, he would probably say, but I still feel like women are important. Yet what he imports from that when he's communicating about his own children is some are more important than others based on. Yeah, that's exactly what he was meaning. Um, because he even chuckled about it and kept on walking. And you can imagine, I mean, <laughs> you know, the odds right there for if he was a leader and many like him were leaders, I think because I have sisters who my dad always told us, you know, you, you, you better treat your sisters well. They, you know, and, and I saw something different from my dad. So this other legislature to me uh, comes from a very different mindset in that sense. And, and, and for some people like him, this can be a fixed mindset. And we know that from research that a fixed mindset is really, there's no such a thing. Uh, Carol Dweck uh, uh, from Stanford has done ex, you know, an immense groundbreaking work on this idea of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Uh, in fact, her book, Mindset, really, I think whoever wants to understand this 
can re can read read more on that because she, she says you know a fixed mindset can really uh, entrench us in these narrow ways of thinking that they're not political in any way even though they can be because eventually they start to impact legislature just like in, in the case of this guy but that stereotypes biologically are very common to all of us they could be negative they could be positive now if the other legislature who was a pastor and is for he says we need we need we need the views of women in parliament and the other lead and the other uh, uh, legislature who was against it uh, responded after this pastor asked him how are your kids and he said oh you mean my my daughters who are brilliant and my sons who are very uh, you know talented you see cuz cuz now that's more on the side of uh, of stereotype lift we can take that anytime so it it seems like when we're talking about stereotypes mm. a stereotype it, it it's it's sort of a neutral term um but when we then add negative and positive those things can very much impact how we interact with people um, absolutely yeah absolutely and the challenge we did in missions is that the negative stuff is not these are not just thoughts that i wake up one morning as a missionary who wants to go and serve in nicaragua and all of a sudden my negative stuff about nicaraguans or where i'm going starts they start to populate because i'm becoming a missionary right so that, so 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 in 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 that sense being a missionary is actually has a neutrality to it as well because the idea is that you you want to serve God, you want to serve Jesus, you want to serve. In and there are people who give up a lot to want to do this work. Uh, but then, when to to your opening uh, preamble, when we don't look at the historical nature of these negative mind bugs, these negative ways in which we were taught because they're there because our minds are also disposed to categorizing if we do not take if we don't take that seriously as christians which scripture asks us to do by renewing our mind identifying those things renewing our minds then we're going to perpetuate these negative stereotypes as a matter of historical facts for example um there was the idea uh, when you read the, the the theology of the missionaries who went to South Africa to the, the, the European missionaries who went to South Africa and you actually read their history because they their theology really helped reinforce the apartheid ideology. So the, how, the question is how is that? How is that that missionaries who say they were going to serve God went with this theology that said they were of a special, not, not just degree, kind, because they were of a different pigmentation, because they were of a different pigmentation. That means they had better brains, better. So how does that get weaved as part of the gospel? There's a history to that. Yes. So uh, as, you're, as you're describing this, I'm, I'm just thinking about 
some of the mission trips that I've been on, some of the mission trips I've led. And mm-hmm. uh, since you're from Africa, I've done a lot of work in Asia. I want to just talk about work in a different place. Let's mm-hmm. talk, let's talk Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. So I've done some work in, in Mexico. And um, mm-hmm. I think as, as I prepare a team, a missions team to go to Mexico, um, there are certain things that I can emphasize that bring in negative stereotype. And, mm. and there are certain things that I can emphasize that maybe bring a stereotype that's not negative. Um, right. But if I'm training people about a certain place to take them there, I am inserting with them certain thought patterns about those people and about mm-hmm. their relationship to those people. So for instance, if I say, we're going to um, we're going to go serve some very poor and uneducated Mexican people, and we're going to go there by bringing the gospel to them, and um, we're going to do this all in a week, and we're going to change yeah. lives, and then we're going to come back here and we're going to report back to the church about our hopefully our victory. That tells a very different story to the people that are going than we're going to go to a place where there are a few believers and they stand strong against oppression. These believers have very little education and yet they still learn to survive in their environment in a place where I could not survive. So when I go there and you go there, I want you to watch and I want you to listen because there are lessons that we can learn. And in the process of that, let's be a blessing to our brothers and sisters. I feel like in those two preparation statements, I've given two very different messages about stereotype. One, one that's very negative and one that at least in some capacity is very positive. Um, mm. And so when I hear you talk about stereotypes and kind of the neutrality there, I can see how you can push that just in the preparation of any team, just in a few minutes, you can push those stereotypes one direction or the other, and you're going to push those whether you mean to or not. But I think that historically, what you're talking about with that ugly history of of bringing in, like the the Christians came in and and really set the platform and foundation for apartheid, how? I think it's because the gospel transcends culture. It transcends every barrier. There are no barriers to the gospel. But we tend to morph and, 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 and manipulate the gospel unwittingly into our own regional thought patterns. So right. I might see a Western gospel that says something very different than a gospel um, that has a Ugandan lens on it. And so I would say it's not the gospel causing the problem. It's man's twist on the gospel because it hasn't been distilled from the cultural baggage that weighs it down. Exactly, exactly. In fact, I've, because uh, I've always, uh, having worked extensively with churches in Uganda and you know, in the, in, in the East African region. 
and then in South Africa as well, where I, I got a chance to, to spend some time. And then, and then in Europe, and then, you know, in, in, in Hong Kong, made the trip as well. Um, and just realizing that, and, and reading extensively, you know, one of the guys who's been very helpful is, um, you know, Ward, Kevin Ward has written about the East African revival and, 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 and how in that history, but reading biographies of different missionaries, just to understand what, what moved them. A lot of these guys and their wives were actually quite erudite. They, they were Oxford grads, they were Cambridge gra graduates. They, uh, they, you know, they were, they were, they were gifted. Um, they understood politics, philosophy. So I am on the side of thinking, like you said, that the missionaries who took the gospel seriously and never forgot it because when you start to forget it now, you're dipping into a form of idolatry. Mm -hmm. It's really serious. Um, that the ones who took it took the gospel seriously and never forgot it actually had an amazing impact on the lives of the people and the cultures and the regions that they, they were in. So I, I'm a little more bullish and more upbeat about missionaries historically that way. Um, I think that even today's missionaries, especially short-termers, should read a little more about these missionaries who packed their stuff. And you know, part of what they packed were their caskets or at least some kind of documents saying, hey, I think we're going and we're not returning. So I have a little more respect that way for them. Um, and, 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 I, and I will be the first to say that, look at the schools that were created, look at the hospitals that were created, look at, uh, you know, Alexander Mackay's passion for engineering and business and, right. Um, and then, so, so that's, that's, we're talking, the, we're talking, that's all part of the history of missions. And with that, as, which I don't see why this is a problem because I think this is why we're all, we all going to school is that we'll learn how to think critically. So I don't want to get mad into this conversation of the idea of critical race theory because I think to me that's a distraction, but the idea that we should reason, we should think, we should have this, even God says, come, let's reason together sort of this Socratic dialogue, this Socratic take, I don't like using big words, but it makes sense that this tradition of thinking through is very important. So when it comes to mission history, we look at the good and we also look at what went wrong so that we can repent and keep doing good. We can repent from this possibility of falling away, forgetting the gospel to a point that you know, the idea of treating a person less than when you're Christian was taught to whoever is doing it from when they were young. The same thing that happened with slavery here in America. How is it that people that say they were Christians at the same time, Christians who were created in the image of God, 
somehow got convinced that the person who did not look like them, talk like them, sound like them, was less human. And yet they also had the Imago Dei. And, and Mike, Michael, I just, I love what you're saying there. Um, it, it reminds me of the other term that you've written about, talked about, and, and we just don't hear much about it in the Western church. And that is the, the racial other. Um, right. We, we have these stereotypes and they can be negative or positive. We have this term called stereotype threat, which, right. you know, impacts our actual performance as we right. interact with people that are not like us. But yep. as you describe kind of this critical thinking where yeah. we examine history, we, we talk in collaboration with others that are not like us, but we're Christians. Um, yeah. This racial other seems mm -hmm. to get in the get in the way. This perception of a racial other. So, just speak to what that is. What is a racial other? So, the racial other is a historical barrier. Uh, you know, everyone who reads history, Christian or not, we know. We know that in certain cultures, this idea of if you are not like us you are subhuman or such a thing. It happened in Greek culture, Greek or Roman culture. It happened in, uh, um, it happened in the first century, second century. Y you can find this idea of the savage all through history. You can find this idea of the barbarian all through history, and you know, incidentally, it comes from the word barbarian, the people who, who used not to speak like the particular dominant group, and they, whatever they spoke was ba 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 ba. So they were barbarians. Oh. Right. <laughs> that's really, that's really what it is. It is this, it is this anxiety of the stranger. For now, it can be multivariant. For some people, it is a it is an aspect of novelty. They just have never seen somebody who doesn't look like the common person. But then the gospel, when the gospel is operative, even there, the gospel tells the Christian and the missionary there in First Peter chapter three, very powerful actually in transforming. First Peter chapter three and verse fifteen. It says, but in your heart, in your heart, your amygdala, your amygdala in the brain might be afraid of what is not common. What is strange, but the gospel says to make what is strange, the familiar. Hmm. That in your amygdala, do not be afraid. Do not be embrace the stranger, for you might be embracing an angel. Do not be afraid. Is the person a beggar? Jesus says, remember when I was locked up in jail? Is the person so sick that they freak you out? Remember when I was sick and I needed food? He, he's always calling us to embrace this fear of the other. But historically, this idea of race, and I think we all know that science played a role in making this real, colorless, in classifying us uh, in those different taxonomies. 
And then Darwinism and social Darwinism and, and this idea that those that are not of this high quality of gene per se are of the are at the low totem pole, bottom of the hierarchy, and therefore they are less than, they are the racial other. And for much of history, they were of a darker complexion. Mm. That's just a fact. So when we talk about a barrier like that, it takes my mind to just some of the practical things that I've seen in the thinking of, of people in churches I've been in and churches I visited, churches I've spoken at in, in the United States, where it seems like there's this false idea that people inside the United States have some superior something, knowledge, education, I'm not sure what, over Christians outside that border, that national border. So, so when I talk about a pastor that might be located in Oregon or California, there's respect there. But when I talk about a pastor that's a pastor in maybe a house church over in Asia, um, the same level of respect doesn't seem to be afforded. It, 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 right. it seems like, oh, let's classify that person as other. You know, they're right. a person to be helped, but they're not necessarily a person to be learned from or a, a person who comes to the table on a level playing field where um, collaboration is even possible. Brotherhood becomes parenthood. And it's very, very troubling because oftentimes what I'll see is we don't even realize we're doing that. So not only do we not realize we're pushing certain stereotypes as we prepare teams and speak about missions to churches and small groups and everything else, but we also are often unwittingly pushing this, this racial other thing when we don't even know we are. And that is really scary. And I, I, I want to use that to transition real quickly because we're running out of time here into what you and I have written a lot about, and we're definitely in the minority in the, in the missions world in this, but we've written about the current Christian poverty alleviation view that is most typified by Brian Fickert's When Helping Hurts, but it tends to herald an idea that models and tracks a little bit of the secular NGO world that says the Westerners have the superior knowledge and the superior gospel, and therefore they're going to take that to the racial other while ignoring the value and inherent abilities of those people that they see as just simply labeled the poor. And so I want you to address just briefly here how do paradigms like when helping hurts that that say wait a second we're not going to give money to these poor people we're going to go train them in western thought and western solutions and then we're going to help them to help themselves how how do those paradigms um further these issues of the racial other and negative stereotypes yeah so and I, I hope, because we're going to be doing more of this podcast, but let me just get into uh, 
Just, you know, a few general ideas about it. So because it's historical, it has also evolved because, uh, you know, the racial other uh, in, in certain, I mean, in certain contexts was the, 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 the savage, the, I mean, I read as far as, uh, you know, Aristotle writing in his book Politics. And in there, Aristotle was a foreigner to the place where he grew up. They said he was a foreigner. So this idea of the foreigner uh, has always been an issue in scripture. The foreigner was always the person on the margins. Even God had to intervene and say to the, you know, to the Israelites, you know, put some food at the end of your gardens and let the proselytize come and pick some of that food. Do not deny them of this. So this, this fear of the foreigner has always been an issue, but then it has been politicized as, as groups have sought to organize themselves into nations, cities, because there's the in-group and the out-group phenomenon. And that has evolved from economics to class, to gender, to race. I mean, in America, there's a time women used to not to vote, right? Now, worse yet, women who can't vote and they're not white, right? So that's sort of a double whammy there. So, so it, has, it has evolved and it has uh, carried on. So this idea of the racial other than for you, as you're saying, when you talk about this uh, pastor of a house church in Asia, it just doesn't compute because they, people don't know this person. Therefore, they can't trust him, even though he's doing equally important work, if not even doing it at a better level because he knows his context. And so I think what the gospel is asking us to do is to give that person a benefit of doubt through the love of Christ and, 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 and do as much to minimize this idea. So the stereotypes, but the stereotype threat, and this is where theories help us. We use them all the time. You know, like gravitational theory, the scientists will not write a paper to let me know that gravitational theory is a real thing. All he has to do is ask me, Michael, if you don't believe in it, try to walk off the building, top <laughs> of the building. Let's see how that goes for you. But he's telling me about gravitational theory. So stereotype threat theory out of psychology is saying that whenever you negatively stereotype somebody's, any part of the identity, say, you know, women are not good at math. It actually impacts the women who are actually really good at math because you're now preoccupying them to prove. And they're not, they're, you're basically interrupting their, 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 their opportunity to do their work well. Because now, and then it, for some, it really becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you say, oh, you know, Irish people are this. If it's negative, now you've put this contingency there. It's not that they're weak and they can't fight through it or tear through it, but muscling your way through it is not enough because if one manages to muscle through it, well, their children are going to have to face that contingency as they grow up. And still, why does that barrier have to be there? It doesn't only affect the one who's casting it, uh, the one who's being cast, who targeted, it also affects the one who's casting it because now you've put this barrier in between you and whoever you think is lesser than you. So I think it's important for us to really pay attention to this in, 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 in church, in, in missions, because that verse I was mentioning in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Jesus says, uh, 
through Peter. But in your heart set on a Christ as Lord. Always being prepared to make a defense for the hope you have received. And he says, how? When you do it, do it in gentleness and respect. People will not demand for respect. People, some may do it out of frustration, but the Bible doesn't, the Bible asks us not to wait for people to demonstrate or demand for what they think is theirs. The Bible says, because we've been transformed, because we have the Holy Spirit, we should be the first people to give respect and gentleness, even when it hurts. And so this is why Fikert, in his ideas, uh, is really carrying on this historical problem. Incidentally, he says he's trying to uh, alleviate being uh, paternalistic, but the problem is that he ends up doing the very same thing he's decrying because he is the, he's applying those very same theories that have not been exercised of this historical malaise of negative stereotype. That's why it's always important for us not to go it alone, but to go it together as brothers and sisters. So, Michael, just as I'm as I'm thinking about stereotype threat, and I'm thinking about just negative stereotypes and this racial other, and comparing that to what I'm seeing in programs and processes like um, the "when helping hurts" type paradigm. Um, I, I'm seeing people coming to the situation that are trained Western experts and they have an idea of what's wrong with somebody else that in a country they don't live in, in a language they don't speak, you know, it, 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 they know what's wrong and they also know how to fix them. So, so they come in with a message that is the opposite of humility. It's the opposite of bringing honor and worth or recognizing honor and worth in our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if, mm. if, I, if I believe that I already know the answer, why would I listen when I ask you questions? I wouldn't because I right. already know the answer. And um, as, as I'm looking at some of these ideas of stereotype and, and bias and, and racial other, what I realize is those barriers are real because those barriers, even though I don't think of them um, a lot of the time, those barriers are what somehow subtly tell me in my heart that it's okay to come with a lot of pride because mm. clearly you know, based on those negative stereotypes and based on mm. the racial other of a person that I just, there's a barrier, barrier between me and them and I don't understand them and they don't understand me. It's okay for me to come in and throw my weight around. And right. um, that's so harmful. So when I, see, um, when I see these ideas of a Western NGO or a Western Christian poverty alleviation organization, organization saying, well, poor people don't know how to handle money. Right. And yep. yet when I, the, the poor people that I know in other countries, many of them are so much better at handling money than me. They just right. have less. They have less money. Right. They have less opportunity, but they can really use it well. And some of the most brilliant people I know are people that didn't go to college. So <laughs> the ideas, the, these ideas that, 
that we bring mm. are broken and we're following we're falling into patterns of the past that have shown mm. themselves to be harmful. So the final question, and then we're going to end this session is, how do we break out of that? How do we get beyond these barriers? Yeah, so I, Nelson Mandela said, you know, we, we are not born hating. We are taught how to hate. So when you talk about these ideas and how well circulated they are, some of these ideas go back to the enlightenment, the medieval times. The, so, so, so what that underscores for us and the Bible has really, this is why I take this idea of truth seeking seriously. The Bible has asked us to seek the truth. Sanctify us by your word, your word is truth. That these ideas we have gotten from the secular realm, good or bad, but in this case bad, they need to be challenged by a greater authority that comes from outside of us. Right. So this is why discipleship in, it, in a quality sense that takes discipleship seriously as an educational experience of human development and I think you and I have talked about this. This is why this is so important. It's important for lawyers, economists, doctors, curriculum developers to not take these degrees that they have so seriously, but to make sure that these ideas are not over the word of God, but that the word of God is over them. And that that is the light through which this is shown and shown through exposed because if you just take economic theory for what it is, it will always put down the poor. I mean, the Elizabethan laws in, in, in England, I mean, those were really rough times for the poor. I mean, they just, it was like, wow, my goodness, Europe has forgotten the gospel about helping the poor. The poor were the criminals. Oliver Twist, you just need to see how he lived, right? A, 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 a Moby Dick's book you read and you'll see but then because the poor are there there's this class that is the superior class I mean this, the, the Psalms are about this you know do not telling telling even the, the priests and the judges do not exploit this poor because you think they are you know a low life or whatever they don't know how to count money well how will they not learn how if they don't know how to count money how will they learn without you giving them a chance, without you sitting with them and having a meal with them and trusting them to fail before they get it? Because that's how we've all learned. But here's the thing. I really believe that it's an intellectual problem. Intellectual problem, not in the sense of elitism, but intellectual problem in the sense of actual ignorance. And then there's willful ignorance. And then there was one author who said, it is not that people at some point are not ignorant, it's just that they know the wrong things. So the Bible starts to undo that and chisel away from that. You know, one of the things that impresses me about American law, your lawyer, Matt, was I've read, because I, I try to read a lot of these cases from the past to see, is this new? I read uh, the, the whole case with uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. There was a group that thought they were superior over another. This is history. So how did we get here with our minds? 
Justice Harlem, who himself was on his journey of growing and repenting because he had some ideas that were offensive. Justice Harlem was the only one who dissented. Maybe those two. He was, he dissented, but do you know how he started his dissent in, 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 in uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, which eventually led to Brown versus Board? He started by saying the white race deems itself to be the dominant race in this country. People need to think about that. This is a Supreme Court justice who is telling people what is happening, but he gives such a beautiful, the rest of it, people need to read the rest of it because at some point he says, but what we're doing is wrong. And Michael, so I, I think that idea yeah. of the, the, um, the white race being the dominant yeah. race in America, um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of the contrast between that and what uh, Jaya Kumar Krishnan in his, in his book, God of the Empty Handed, um, talked about with the gospel being a, the ultimate leveling factor. There is exactly. no dominant person in Christ. Right. Christ is above all and is in each believer. And, exactly. the, and the fact that your response to how do we get beyond these barriers, the fact that your response is shine the light of the gospel on it and yeah. let, let it be the true gospel not an aberration of the gospel is so yeah. powerful. That's it. I really believe in the bottom of my heart that it is God who brings a man and a woman out of the jaws of hatred, resentment uh, of, of the other, uh, demonizing of the other. I mean, you know what, what, even to the point, which is a challenge to me, because I want to fight sometimes, you know, towards when you're on this journey of fighting what is wrong you want to you want to fight through but the gospel says michael love even those that you think are your enemies wow that is such a challenge to me matt however long it takes me to walk through it the gospel wants me to come out of this loving my enemy so hard to do and yet it's possible in christ Michael, this is just so good. I, we're out of time for okay. today. So I just want to thank you again for your insight you brought here. And I'm just, I'm loving these times together. And Me I, too. I want to continue. I want to keep learning. I want to keep collaborating and sharing. And so I'm going to sign off for now and just thank you again for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Matt, in, the, in this more. I, I really appreciate you. Thank you.